0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit wholefoodsmarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network.
3: Welcome to All in the Industry on Full Service Radio. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we are coming to you live from the Line Hotel in the Adams Morgan neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Yes, this is a special gig for me. I'm out here in D.C. I was invited by my former engineer who was talking with before the show. I think he did about 100 of my episodes. Jack Inslee. <laughs> Jack is the founder of Full Service Radio, and um, he's also um, from Heritage Radio Network, uh, former executive producer. So, um, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. The studio is beautiful, and uh, yeah. So here we go. This is this is the 173rd episode. Today is Friday, April 6th, and uh, my show is dedicated to behind the scenes talents in the hospitality industry, as usual. Today my guest is an exceptional chef and restaurateur who has several restaurant concepts in DC, including two right here at the Line Hotel. I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So, today's tip is to stay connected. Make the effort to keep in touch with those who are important to you, including your friends, family, and colleagues. When we get busy, it's easy for us to get all wrapped up in the everyday stuff and forget everything else. But it's important to take time to maintain relationships that are meaningful. So the next time you think of someone who you miss, just pick up the phone or send them a text or email. It's easy, and it will not only make someone's day, but it will ensure that you don't lose a valuable relationship. Connecting and reconnecting are definitely worth the effort. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to be in D.C. and with my guest who's based here in D.C. It is Eric Bruner Yang. He is the chef and owner of Makato, Paper Horse, Honeycomb, Brothers and Sisters, and Spoken English, the latter two are restaurants here at the New Line Hotel in D.C. Eric is a 2 times James Beard Foundation Award nominee, He's also the founder of Toki Un- Underground and he and his restaurants have received numerous accolades from Bon Appetit to the New York Times and the Washington Post and many more. Eric is also the host of Foreign National on Full Service Radio with his wife Seda Nak. And I could go on and on and on, <laughs> but that's a long enough intro. I know. I, my intro. Thank you long. so much. You're welcome. Hi.
4: How's it going? Good morning. Good yeah. morning. Good morning.
3: I know. I usually do my show at 4 o'clock, so I'm like, I got to, you know, get the energy. I got the energy going early.
4: Yeah, it's popping. You have a great radio voice.
3: Thank you. I think you do, too, because I was listening to, to some of your shows. And, uh, yeah, well, we balance each other. You yeah, know? thank
4: you. I, it's, it gets weirdly deep. And then as the show goes on, it goes weirdly not deep. <laughs> we'll see if I go deep.
3: <laughs> so, um, Let's talk about your background a little bit, how you got into cooking and and becoming a chef and restaurateur. Did did you set out to work in restaurants?
4: Um, Not really, Um, but I've always had this um, uh, independent spirit, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, My mom would say rebellious, right? Um, But I started working when I was 15, as soon as I could legally get a job. And uh, at the time, we were living in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is like 45 minutes south of D.C., um and my first job was making caramel popcorn at the mall um for that chain Mrs. Tyndall's. okay um and i loved that job it was like the first kiosk in the main food court entrance um so i thought it was really cool i had like spiky hair you'd give out free samples all the time um but it, you we would actually really make um kettle corn and cheese popcorn and everything in this beautiful copper kettle um in the caramel corn, of course, and so I did that for about a year, and then in my formative high school years, I worked for Red Robin for a long time, like three and a half years, um, but I just worked in restaurants, A, because of um, it was really good money, and um, uh, I had a real passion for playing music, so it was the perfect job, as most people know, for people that are in the music industry or up and coming in the music industry, a lot of people end up working in restaurants, so that's basically how it all got started. And I just, I mean, at this point, I'm almost 20 years in the restaurant industry, which is kind of crazy, um, since I've just been working for so long.
3: Yeah. I got, I started as soon as I could drive. When I was 16, I got a job at a, a, a little Mexican restaurant in Miami as a hostess. I just wanted to work. Yep. So I had the bug.
4: <laughs> yeah, I just, I I loved the the working of it, um, the social aspect of it, and um I mean I've done everything from making popcorn to washing starting, you know, washing dishes, waiting tables, bartending. So did cooking. you go to cooking school? No, I did not. And I, I didn't really take cooking seriously till about two thousand and I guess seven or eight. Um,
3: what happened then?
4: I moved to DC in two thousand and seven and I was hired as the general manager for up and coming kind of sushi chain here called sticky rice. Okay. Um, and they had one in Richmond. They were opening their second location here in D.C. And I had advocated for this GM job, even though I was completely unqualified. I had just finished business school. Um, and, and my music career was kind of coming down to an end. But I knew if, I knew I was capable. I just never had the opportunity. So I really pitched for it, and I got the job. Um, but we were so super short staffed that first year. All I ended up doing was cooking on the line every week, every day of the week, because I was just capable of doing it. Um, So working sushi bar, working the walk stations and all of that. So by the end of that year, um, I transferred from the GM to the kitchen manager of that location. And that's when I really kind of started thinking that I could be uh, a chef, I guess, is the best way to put it.
3: Okay. yeah. Well, then how did how did I don't know with a timeline like when did Toki Underground come about and how did that come about?
4: Um, we started, I started working on Tokyo Underground maybe 2009 yeah 2008, 2009 I had done two years of Sticky Rice or I was with that company for two years and then um, my grandfather passed away he, um, I'm from Taiwan um, so I went back to Taiwan over a, a period of two years when, from when he was sick to when he passed away um, to get as much visits in as I could and when, uh, at one of the visits I happened to um, I was just there for such an extended period of time. and I was just so used to working. I just didn't know what to do with myself. So my uncle got me um, a stage at a ramen shop in Taipei, and I worked at this ramen shop. And I think I was like, I don't know, 22 or 23 or 24 at the time, something like that. Yeah. And I was young. <laughs> and I was really st- starting to really kind of figure out or discover my own... Um, cultural identity you know being half asian for a long time is just like something you don't think about or you do think about but really like in my early 20s i started to really think about it and then i did this stage at this ramen shop and taipei has this very um crazy culture amazing culture taipei itself um because of its heavy colonized influence from the japanese and um so i came back to the u.s from those trips and i was really kind of like really wanted I finally had this idea of toki Underground the logo is the shape of um, the Taipei city flag um, so it was all this this real inspiration of that period of my life where I was figuring myself out and I wanted to express my cultural identity in my own way through a restaurant and so that's how Toki came about and then we opened that in 2011
3: yeah well I mean bringing the Taiwanese cuisine and what you everything I know about actually I haven't been to that restaurant but knowing about it and all the accolades it's gotten it seems it was a different twist or bringing different cuisine here and flavors that obviously took off and then how have you incorporated that also into what with opening Macato and 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 the other concepts Did you, have you kept on that path with like incorporating your your culture into your cuisine uh and I mean, you have a lot of different concepts going on now.
4: (laughs) I know. Yeah, for sure. I think like, um, you know, like when I, especially if I do um, interviews like this or even interviews that are just, um, you know, like quick five second interviews, I'll be in a publication and they always ask like, what is your culinary perspective or what What is is
3: your culinary perspective or your
4: style? Right. (laughs) And um, for a long time, I always I I always really battle. I don't want to be this person that is like the um the spokesperson for taiwanese food like i don't want to be the andy ricker of taiwanese food or the um uh stew pack of Taiwanese. like that's not my end game um and especially since we do have a lot of uh, cambodian food inspired dishes like i definitely don't want to speak for a culture that's not mine but my wife's um and so but I happened to be opening these places in a market where a lot of these things didn't exist before, and I ended up being that spokesperson for these things. And as we kind of slowly evolved, we just really just says, like, who I am and the people around me and that, that cultural and community network, that's what my culinary style is. So I happen to be Taiwanese. My wife happens to be Cambodian. I happen to feel very much a Washingtonian, and that's the food that I cook
3: that's all excellent yeah no I, um, I think that's
4: the best I've ever said it it's true
3: <laughs> well it was and and it was it was a awesome answer to my my question which was a little bit babbling there too so no, no, no. you 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 did a great job what when did when did Mikato open
4: um, so it's the you know these little life events kind of become creative catalysts for me. So one was my grandfather passing away, led to Tokyo underground and the Maketo, um, it's kind of this love story of me meeting my wife, um, and going to Cambodia for the first time. And I've always had this very warped sense of, uh, what being Asian means or what Asia is. Um, I had never been to Southeast Asia and then obviously anybody that goes to Southeast Asia, especially I think Vietnam and Cambodia, um, it really changes the way they see things, um, and I, I, I really fell in love with the people and the culture, and when we got back from our the first time going there, basically we got engaged, and I was like, "You need to meet my grandparents who my grandmother, who's still alive in Taiwan, and then you should meet your family in Cambodia." so we did that trip. Uh, when we got back from that, I was like, I, I was like, I have this awesome idea for this concept, and that's where we came up with Maketo. What's really great about traveling to Cambodia and Taiwan is um, all the layover flights, right? So we go to Taipei, you get laid over in Japan, and then you go to Cambodia, you come back, you get laid over in Japan. So we saw all these really amazing spaces that weren't as refined or maybe more refined too at the same time as Maketo. We have these mixed-use concepts of these larger spaces with young people who can't afford the whole thing on their own, but if they combine all their great ideas, they can come up with these crazy cool things. Um, so it's not unique is not unique to um, a lot of places in the world but we wanted to bring that spirit back and just do what we do really well so if we were going to do coffee it would be excellent if we were going to be in the retail game we would do our best at it and with the food we would kind of take that new culinary perspective and try to take it to the next level people had just known me for noodles so I was like I kind of wanted to get past that. Yeah.
3: But you did, I mean, you just touched on it. All, you have all of those concepts going on under one roof, which is also unique for a restaurant or, or a little, maybe more so there are coffee shops or, or stores that are putting coffee shops in and, and restaurants with retail, but it's not super common. But you decided to do, I mean, what's that like running a business that has multiple different concepts
4: all under, under one name and, and roof? Um, I think what made us unique, because there are, like you said, like, you know, in New York, there's plenty, in Paris, there's plenty, in Tokyo, there's a lot of concept like this, but not at the um, F&B level that we delivered at, right? It's a lot of these, like, retail stores that were already amazing retail stores that are like, how do we create more traffic or get people, there's a lot of people that visit these stores, but don't. They just want to see it. They don't want to buy any of it. But So how can we get them to spend some, some money, whether it's a cup of coffee or a grilled cheese or ice cream or whatever, right? Um, but not at the level, F&B level, that we end up pulling off, which I think was the real challenge, is how does how do we make the food world take the restaurant seriously? Um, but uh, running it is it's basically just, you know, it's like a, a mini mall. I mean, we open every day at 7, and we close around midnight, and we do... Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or I guess it's like what I do. It's like two years, three years of experience before I actually opened the hotel to kind of figure out that kind of operation.
3: Yeah, well, it's I mean, my last trip to DC, I, I was was at. Am I saying right, Macato? Yeah, it's fine, Maketo. Maketo. Yeah, um, it's a it's such a cool space with the with the alfresco dining in the center, and I mean, it's it's. It's, it's very unique, and I like it a lot.
5: I Thank you. I to just need to, to get jump back in there. here and say that Maketo is the reason I accepted the move to D.C.
3: Oh, wow. I was really
5: scared of this city. And then <laughs> the first tour I got, I think Maketo was the first place I went. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I can, like, this I can is move doable. here. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, this is, decent. This is great. <laughs> that's,
3: that's the best endorsement. And on that note, let's take a little break. And uh, we're going to come back and talk more with Eric. We're on full service radio, and this is All in the Industry.
5: today's break music by former heritage radio engineer and intern declan aka keto soundcloud.com slash keto we'll be right back on all in the industry
1: today's program is brought to you by whole foods market
3: Full Service Radio. Welcome back. This is All in the Industry. Today we're on Full Service Radio out in Washington, D.C. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Eric Bruner-Yang. He's a D.C.-based chef and owner of Maketo. Maketo. I'm going to get that right by the end of the show. (laughs) That's okay. There's so many others. Paper Horse, Honeycomb brothers and sisters in spoken english which are here. So let's talk about those right now a little awesome. bit. Awesome. Okay. So we're sitting here in the Line Hotel which is gorgeous. I'm so happy to be here. And um, you have I mean we're looking at basically brothers and sisters, right? So Correct. so how did this whole project come about and you want to talk a little about about the different concepts of and style cuisine you're doing here.
4: Yeah, so um uh there's a guy that used to work for, for Sidel, who's the parent the the company that runs this business. Um named Tanner Campbell and he um approached me all the way back in 2012. So I've been working on this project for 5 years now. Um so it's just insane to be involved in something for that long to and then for it to finally happen. Um but it's this uh, beautiful neoclassical church in the heart of Adams Morgan, and it has these, um, these, this really kind of extravagant front entrance with the church and the steps. So you walk through the chirps and the steps, and you enter the building. You'll see this little coffee shop called the cup we all race for by um, Spike Girade and his team. And then you'll see on the right. Then you'll see full service radio on the left. And as you kind of walk through this hall, and then you enter really kind of what used to be the 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 center of the church has been renovated into um, basically the lobby slash one of our restaurant concepts called Brothers and Sisters. Um, So. I mean definitely morning and breakfast here really feels like an amazing kind of workspace shared workspace uh, that happens to provide breakfast and lunch and then dinner um, here at night it really turns into this really kind of dark sexy um, kind of experience even though we serve the same food all day um this was a it was a for me i guess a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to cook um really something to do a menu that was intentionally non-Asian um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's the main restaurant for the hotel and it's guests. We do room service, we do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so we're really here, you know, to service the community, but also to serve the 220 rooms that are here. Um, so, you know, Seidel was like, we would really love, cause they never really tell you what to do, but they make suggestions. Mm -hmm. Um, we would really love it if you had kind of a chicken noodle soup, we would really love it if you had a Caesar salad, a burger, something that was just very much for, you know, a traveler that wasn't trying to have a crazy culinary experience. Um, so this was, but you know, I feel like if I opened up a French bistro or a new American restaurant, um, outside of the context of this hotel, people would think it's weird. That's my personal opinion on that.
3: Well, you can do. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But uh, what do you what do you enjoy cooking right now the most?
4: Um, uh, when I get to cook <laughs> is the yeah is the, you, uh, the big mean, question, right? Well, um, another question is how you manage your time because you have a lot going on. Um, the The type of food we do at Brothers and Sisters is the type of food I like to go eat when I go out to eat because. Um, maketo or even spoken English and the food that I've been doing is just this really kind of crazy, strong, heavy Asian food. And so, unlike our mutual friend Pichet who could eat Chinese food all day, like, that's not what I want to do on my time off. So the food here that we did at Brothers and Sisters is the way I like to eat outside of work. So it was kind of like picking and finding food and dishes that I love to eat, getting to put them on a new menu and then giving it my spin or not spin because a lot about brothers and sisters is like just trying to keep it as simple as possible which at the end of the day gives it an asian aesthetic without it having to be like i used soy sauce or uzu or any of these asian ingredients to make it feel asian that was like kind of our end approach to it um, but i really enjoyed building this menu um, i had to learn a lot of how to Um, make these kinds of dishes because I haven't worked in restaurants like that before that had been doing Bernays or any of those things. I just don't have that experience. So a lot of this was new for me and I had a great time doing it and, and um, working with our chef de cuisine Harper, who has a very strong French culinary background. Um, So that was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. What about, and you mentioned Pichet. So for listeners, this is Pichet Ong who's, Mm -hmm. who's doing pastry and cakes at, at, multiple concepts with you correct
4: or kind of sort of I mean he's mostly I think he he kind of oversees pastries for all of our restaurants which is really just three that really have a pastry program Maketo here and spoken English we have a great executive pastry chef at Maketo named Rebecca Blatzel um, who she worked with Pichet for about a year there now she kind of runs it and we just kind of taste test and give advice uh-huh. um, and he's still here at the hotel really heavily involved in production and and you know him well enough and I'm sure there's some of your listeners that know him like he's very antsy and so he's constantly <laughs> changing and creating and he likes to have that space to to be fluid is my best way to put it
3: <laughs> well said and, w- and what about spoken English
4: um, spoken English is um a restaurant we did here um, at the Line Hotel to kind of give some balance. I think brothers and sisters to some people who are fans of my cooking can be a bit muted. Um, So we wanted to make sure there was, um, to carve out another space here where they could go and experience what they're used to having from me, which is salty, sour, sweet, spicy, um, uh, inventive, um, loud, um, all of those things that people have expected from our restaurants in the past. But we also, uh, its original intention was to be a tasting menu concept, mm-hmm. really really kind of refined. You're sitting in the kitchen, um, in very like um, intimate experience between the chefs and the diners. But that's just not, at the end of the day, as I got older, I was like, that's not the kind of restaurant I always love eating at, which means it would not be the kind of restaurant I would love to be at work at all the time. Um, so it kind of evolved. it's a standing restaurant, right? So, right, I was there last night, yeah.
3: everything was delicious. But I feel really. like
4: some people think it's kind of strange. Um, but then once they get there and they kind of unwind a little bit, they realize that they actually do a lot of eating while standing. They may necessarily not want to pay for it, but. They they they're like, oh, this isn't strange. I actually do this a lot when I invite people to my home and we're at our kitchen island and we're just chatting and I've made some food. And how many times does that food actually make it to the dinner table for you to actually sit down and eat? So that was we've had a lot of people kind of talk about it that way. And that's been kind of nice to see.
3: Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it a lot. My my first dinner last night.
4: Thank you. (laughs) Let's
3: talk a little about your show that you're doing here on on full service radio. So for a national, how do you like being a a radio host?
4: Um, (laughs) I really enjoy the, it's one hour a week. um, If we can end up doing it consistently every week, because my schedule is nuts. But it's a nice, it's just really nice to have one hour a week where I'm doing something with my wife. Yeah. Um, And to make that commitment to do an activity together. I like to say activity, but... um, Based around our hectic schedule, we kind of just stop everything. We're in this room for one hour. and We have a guest, um, um, so I really like that um, consistency to have something like that on my schedule, and to see her and for us to do something that is creative. Um, I mean, I'm looking at you, and you're so prepared. You have your notes. You sent me like questions <laughs> I'm, before.
3: I'm <laughs> I, I prepared. But you're
4: you're like 175 episodes. We're like getting the guest like the day before. Or two hours before, um, and and uh, and we're not even really communicating about what we're going to talk about when we get here. But somehow, I think every episode has turned out pretty good.
3: I've I've listened to a few, and they have, and you have wonderful chemistry, obviously with with your wife um yeah i this is this is how i i am a preparer i don't know <laughs> that's my style uh it's interesting some of my guests look at what i said them and some don't because everyone has their own way of yeah. preparing um but when you're talking about uh starting the show and having the commitment to do the show with Sada, i recently had on richard blaze on my on my show mm-hmm. and he started a podcast he's I don't know. He's he's as busy as yeah. as you are. I, I mean, always love
4: I'm always a fan always a fan of him.
3: And he co hosts it with his wife and he said the exact same thing you do. It's nice that they have that time together. So that's like we need one more and then it's a trend.
4: Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. My wife always thinks she's always like, Is is Jack gonna be mad at us? She, I, I swear, like every week she's like, Um, can you ask Jack if he's mad? And I'm like, I don't think he cares. I mean I think he does care, but We have some leeway, so we should. We should. I'll say it this way: this
5: is the debut season of Full Service Radio, and I've always known that season one is going to be people finding their footing. That's right. So the answer is no. I'm definitely not mad. Um, (laughs) No, and you guys have done great shows. I have to be totally honest. Especially last, this most recent episode was really,
4: really great. Yo, next week is going to be really good. Okay, that's one I'm actually preparing. That's the only one I'm preparing for.
3: Who's your guest?
4: Uh, we're gonna have Jason Cadell um, he's the guitar player for this like um, famous uh, early 2000s band from Washington DC but also internationally called the dismemberment plan and he's a close friend of mine and he's like a super foodie I always run into him at the grocery store um, and he's like always making some crazy Italian dish from scratch um, but he his band basically um, they changed kind of the indie rock landscape there for about a decade and um, I think it'll be a fun episode. So,
3: Okay, I'll have to tune in. Okay, so before we take another break, I have a question from my last guest mm-hmm. for you. This is on episode 172. Dara Pollock of Skinny Pig NYC, or The Skinny Pig. She's a freelance food writer and social media influencer. So she wants to know, what do you think D.C. does better than New York City?
2: Hmm.
3: Relating mostly to the food world, she was saying she's she's been to a, um, her last trip. She went to some great speakeasies here. I was thinking really? maybe speakeasies are a little better here. I don't know, but on your, what's your take? Oh
4: man, I uh, <clears throat> DC does a better job of getting getting my Uber to my restaurant reservation on time than New York City does.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's fair,
4: man. I feel like I should answer that better. Um, but, you know, strangely, I don't go out to eat a lot in DC. So for the listeners, I have two kids, I have a one year old, I have a three year old. So going out to eat with two kids in any city is really hard, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a few places here in Washington, DC that we will go out to eat as a family. (laughs) RPM is definitely one of the ones that we go a lot. We know the chef well there. They always take an amazing care of our kids. Um, and that's and the food is spectacular. So we just go there a lot um, because of my schedule. Um, my wife and I will eat at Old Ebbet or the Hamilton late a lot um, because it's one of the kind of few decent places that are open after 10 o'clock. Um, where you can get you still can get raw bar and all that kind of stuff but like I can't really compare Old Abbott to Blue Ribbon it's just totally different right? right um, but in New York because I do travel a lot for work I do like you end up eating um, alone a lot and having really nice experiences like that in um, everywhere we go but I would I just would say I couldn't I don't eat in each city the same way right so it's hard for me to to totally answer that
3: well You gave a great answer with um, Uber. With Uber.
4: (laughs) But Uh, my favorite restaurant in New York City, which doesn't exist here in Washington, D.C., is Basta Pasta. Ah. That's my favorite New York City restaurant.
3: I do to go back there. I haven't been in so many years.
4: And uh, Basta Pasta was a huge inspiration for brothers and sisters, right? Because to me, Basta Pasta is an Italian restaurant, right? And I think... That's what it is to me. But it just happens to be run by Japanese people for the last 20 years. And the aesthetic somehow, at the end of the day, feels super Asian. But you're still just getting Italian food, right? So that's, that's what we really wanted to kind of um, get out of that brothers and sisters experience. That same feeling I had in Basta Pasta where it's was like, okay, I'm an Italian restaurant, but this is Asian, right?
3: Yeah. Okay. So, On that note, let's take a little break. We're going to come back and play my speed round game and talk a little industry news. This is All in the Industry on Full Service Radio. back this is all in the industry on full service radio i'm sherry bayer my guest today is eric Bruner yang it is time for my speed round game so eric what this is is i'm gonna name a couple things and you pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla
4: wait one more time
3: um it's an either or question
4: game so okay. i'm
3: gonna say things like chocolate or vanilla and got you pick your preference got it okay you ready?
4: But I feel like the first question is not going to be that easy.
3: <laughs> well, you could do. The, you could try the, the trial one, chocolate Ch- or vanilla. Okay. Shari, yeah,
5: yeah. I don't think I ever got to play this game in all the times I did your show, so I'm doing it, too.
4: Oh, great. I love it. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so let's just have some systems. Jack, you answer first. I'll answer no, second. No, 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 no. You're the guest. Okay, so I answer first. You answer yeah, second. Yeah.
3: I'm <laughs> glad you're organizing this. That's one thing I never do, misprepared over here.
4: <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's do the test question.
3: Okay. Chocolate or vanilla?
4: Vanilla. Vanilla also.
3: I'm chocolate. Okay. Eat in or eat out?
4: Eat in. Eat out.
3: Wine, beer, cocktail or mocktail?
4: Diet Coke. Cocktail.
3: It's a new one. Tasting menu or a la carte?
4: Who? Both. Same time. You want to supplement the tasting menu? That's
3: a new one. I love it. That's a new one. You want them both at the same time.
4: If they allow yeah, because the a la carte's never the same as the tasting menu. It's really annoying.
3: Okay.
4: Yeah.
5: I just don't like making decisions. I always like having somebody else make the decision, so tasting menu. There's
4: always, like, one thing on the... I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but there's always, like, one thing on the tasting menu that you would want to swap out that looks better on the a la carte menu. That's true. If they give you both. So it's like, can I just buy both?
3: It's like... That's an answer from a chef for sure. That's great. <laughs> How about small plates or large plates?
5: Small. Yeah, small.
3: Communal table or chef's counter?
5: Chef's counter. Yeah, chef's counter unless I'm with people I want to be at a communal table with.
3: Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
4: Either's fine. Yeah, politically,
3: same. Politically correct there. Yeah. I guess. Up, to the, like, up yeah. to the restaurant. Well, Jack, I don't know how you're going to answer this one. Cooking on the line or expediting?
4: <laughs> uh, expo. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I had ramen or udon or U- any other noodle. Udon. Place. Udon, really? Yeah, it's my favorite. thought you were going to go with ramen.
4: I hate it. Ew. Do you hate it just because you've done it so much? I just, I just can't do it. I, it has to be like super clean- light, i like, if I go to a ramen shop, typically, I'll just order um, broth noodles and scallions. I try to ask for like no toppings. Wow. I just want, I just yeah, want to experience yeah, yeah. like the two main things and like that's it. Because yeah. like a lot of, I mean, I'm a, Toki is definitely a perpetrator of this problem, but like ramen <laughs> toppings are just like so crazy now. It's like, I just kind of want the soup and the noodles. Okay. That's what I love about udon. It's just clean. Clean. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I, I enjoy clean ramen as well, and also don't love the trend towards throwing everything in a bowl. Um, but ramen's still my answer over udon. we're done.
3: Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert?
5: Dessert. If it's piche, it's dessert. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Give him a little plug, that's good. How about uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, or D.C.?
4: Mm, D.C.? For sure, DC. DC.
2: <laughs> <Four>.
3: <laughs> Fantastic.
4: I would never want to live in New York City. Never? Yeah. Not even to try it? Not even to try it. Maybe if you were in your early 20s. If I was independently wealthy and I didn't have to work, I would love to live mm. in New York City, but I would never want to do the New York City grind.
3: It's a grind. I've been there now, coming up on 20 years.
4: I mean, I did the two weeks <laughs> at Chantang, and I wanted to die. <laughs> That was awful. Um, commuting from Bushwick to Hell's Kitchen was like the worst experience of my life. That's
5: so funny. That's why I laugh when people, t- I-, I live about uh, 20, 25 minutes away from the hotel. And people are like, you commute? That's crazy. 25 minutes each way. And I'm like, you have never lived have never in done York? You've never <laughs> done yeah. Bushwick to Hell's Kitchen. Huh? This <laughs> is yep. just
3: what you get used to. Well, I go yeah. out to Bushwick once a week for my show, but I also I work independently home office. So I don't have a commute. Otherwise, So, but I yeah, like if, I you had, like, you know, like
4: if I had like a trust fund and a nice rent control department and maybe I bartended at Blue Ribbon once a week for fun because uh, they make crazy money there. That sounds nice. That sounds like a great New York life. Yeah, that sounds like a great New York City life.
3: Hey, okay, well, two out of three. Well, I don't know. Two people here in pro DC and uh, it's pretty lovely. I don't know. Maybe I should give DC it's a like, shot.
4: It's slow living and fast living at the same time. I agree. Yeah.
3: And it's cherry blossom season, which I'm going to go see later.
4: Uh, Our streets are much cleaner.
3: (laughs) Okay. And the Uber. I mean, we got to say, the Uber's faster.
4: Well, Uber's not amazing here, but compared to New York, (laughs) it's better. Oh, it's
5: amazing here. Yeah, as a New Yorker.
3: (laughs) Okay, so let's talk some industry news. There was um, on Eater.com an article how author Julia Tertian launches database for Marginalized voices in food—it's called equity at the table—and it's her response to gender and racial discrimination. And this article was by Amanda Clute. So Julia Tertian, who's this amazing writer, uh, she writes for New York Times and other other publications. Um, she started this database, and basically um, now people—women in the industry of people of color, queer women gender non-conforming individuals can sign up and be a part of this basically just trying to 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 make a resource out there as a lot of the press and a lot of the conferences and a lot of the things that happen in our industry um people are noticing aren't don't have that much diversity Mm -hmm. it's basically my take on it so um any any comments on on this or
4: so the 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 take on the article is restaurants lack diversity
3: well, that's my take on it. This is yeah, it's um it's she started this as uh, I mean there she's calling out that, that really a lot of the, the food shows and the conferences and everything okay, are dominated yeah. by white men. I for mean sure. that's a part of the article. Yeah, you know? for sure. And so having a database that has just you can find people in the industry who are bakers and authors and chefs and cooks and and of of different backgrounds, that there there maybe it would help um, get more exposure to different different. Walks yeah,
5: and I think she's just trying to give a practical thing for people to do when they say things like, I want to be more diverse. I want to interview these people. So uh, it's like, all right. A, here's, solu- a
4: here's... solution. Yeah, exactly. uh, Solutions are the best.
5: Yes. And her wife, Grace, both who used to do shows on Heritage Radio, Grace Bonney also put out this really nice template of an email because um, she speaks on a lot of panels. Eric, I know you can probably relate to this, too and she basically gave people a draft of a response to say, Hey, thanks for considering me. Who else is on this panel? What kind of voices are you including? Are there people of color that could take my spot? Like, do you really need me? Um, so yeah, it's both of them are really doing good stuff.
4: Um, I, I think for sure. And when you get into the, um, food and wine events, the, all of those, it's definitely very, that's the way it is. Um, my experience is a little different because I do a lot of ones that are Asian centered. So maybe it's not diverse. Maybe it's mostly all Asian males. Um, uh, but, um, that's kind of what I've, my kind of main experience only have I on the national scene broken into a few of those like Aspen food and wine, Mm. um, here and there over the last 10 years. And that's definitely the experience that I've got. I've done a lot of panels here in Washington, DC, um, and I think that um, what's really just been, uh, I guess, um, happening over the last few years, at least is that there is a level of self-awareness about this happening in the sense that people are try- make being a little bit more um, cognizant about um, when they kind of set these things up and how they're going to do them. Um, but Washington, D.C. itself is a pretty diverse uh, city in general. So I, I feel like when we have these kind of like more localized events. It's not the same. The issue that we have here specifically in DC, because I can just speak to my experience, is that um, the panels or these kind of these things that do happen are a little bit watered down in the sense that it's the same twenty of us at every single one, mm-hmm. where the experience is not really transcending. It's just like one after the other, after the other one. I, you know, happens to me a lot. I'm I'm super happy to do it. It's a great way for me to promote the restaurants, and it's something that's just needed to do. Um, And we have a mutual friend named Desiree, and I don't want to put her thing out there, but I feel like sometimes she's she has that like, why am I being asked to do this? Is it you know, is it because you're trying to make your diversity landscape, or are you actually really interested in my story? And there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening, but. Um, I think at least, like, these stories are being told, so it's a kind of a tough balance. I'm happy to say, like, the James Beard finalists, it it seems a lot more diverse than it's ever been. Yeah. um, For sure, and I think... um, But also, just through time, there's just, like... Some of these guys, they've been in the industry for 20 to 30, 40 years, and that's just how it was. You know, that's just how it was. And um, they have... A lot of them were really influential in creating a lot of these events. So of course it's just going to be dominated by the people that are surrounded by them. But as they get older and they hire younger and they get and they change their corporate structures, that's really when you see these things kind of evolve and the, the events evolve.
5: Yeah, one quick thing too. Um, for New York listeners, because I know Shari, you have most, a lot of New York listeners. DC is a really diverse place. That's like the first thing I noticed about this city. And I think maybe if New York city looked outside of itself every once in a while, it
4: could solve (laughs) some of its diversity problems. Yeah. I mean, like, I think like having, um, you know, our, our our restaurants are, we have a lot of Latin Americans. We have a lot of African Americans. We have a lot of binary. We have a lot of, um, Asian Americans, white Americans, non-Americans, um, but I think that just really speaks to the DC landscape. I think as an owner or an entrepreneur, you have to be, you do need to give everyone an equal chance when you do the interviews. And our, ours is really is like, our motto is always like, just hire nice people, right? Just hire nice people. And we can train, hopefully, if they have the patience, we can train them to learn anything. Um, and so that's always what we've been. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we, we're sh- always short cooks either, like everyone else. But. I think that's just our approach like are you super nice would I take you to, to my mom's house and if we can kind of check those two boxes then you know I think everyone can be employable
3: I like that I think that's a a great way to hire Yeah and I I've also noticed I mean beyond New York just having gone to a lot of conferences around the country and also just reading articles in different publications that a lot of times there's the same chefs or the same people are being quoted or, or on panels. And so I think I'm I'm I would like to see more diversity in everything too. And there's always there's been a more push for, for having more women involved and um, spoken about and not just the, the like the token few that, that get quoted a lot in articles. So I think this is this is really great what she's yeah, doing. Yeah, actually I
4: think as I like the way um, it was explained about hey how about don't ask me why don't you ask someone else and like well, I've done that before with when people ask me food about Cambodian questions mm-hmm. about Cambodian food I'm like I'm happy to answer these questions but you should really check out this girl in Brooklyn she has this pop up called Krung, and she's actually Khmer and like she you should really ask her because she like can say the words right she knows like it's like really mm-hmm. deep rooted in her that's great um, yeah. and like so I, that I actually kind of like that maybe like using that more like oh, I would love to do your panel but you should invite this other person instead
3: right check out the database I mean the, and it's also she has it's it's the the letters are E E A T T of equity at the table so she's tying it into right into the food world cool oh, okay so we're gonna take one more break and then we're gonna come back do my solo dining experience and have the final question this is all in the industry on full service radio <coughs>
5: Again, all the music you've been hearing here on the breaks is by Kido, K I E D O, on SoundCloud. Also, a former Heritage Radio intern and engineer, Declan. The theme song on this program is by the California Honeydrops, and we will be right back on All in the Industry.
3: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Full Service Radio. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So, this week it's at Pineapple and Pearls. Here's the rundown. The location 715 8th Street, Southeast Washington, D.C. The concept, inventive American tasting menu, elegant yet playful. The chef, Aaron Silverman. So, why did I go? Because this restaurant has been on the best DC best restaurant lists uh, for a long time, it received four stars from critic Tom Sietzima at the Washington Post, and just a lot of rave reviews. And I'm out here, so I actually went last night. And my experience, I had I booked my reservation about a month ago um, online, and uh, I got a reservation for one at the 8:30 p.m. seating at the bar. They also offer seating in the main dining room at the chef's counter as well. Um, Those are priced a little higher because you have to do the beverage pairing if you sit in those spots. So at the bar, I had the option not to do a beverage pairing, which is what I went with. Uh, I arrived. I was immediately greeted. They were extremely warm and friendly. They gave me a a warm towel for my hands and a complimentary little mocktail. And um, I was seated at the bar and dinner. Began, so what did I get? It was an eleven-course tasting menu, and each dish was presented by different chefs and servers who not only explained every dish, but there was a very uh, interactive part of of plating the dishes and a very delicate cutting of, of fish and courses, and um, it was it was it was fun uh, for a very elegant experience. Uh, some of the dishes included foie gras nigiri, silken tofu with Hokkaido uni, bone-in turbo, which was carved tableside, uh, pierogi duplex, and uh, some veal veal sweet bread and crout. Dessert, there was a fennel sorbet and a light and very pretty carrot cake. So my take, I really enjoyed everything. It was... um, very meticulous techniques, uh, original presentations, very beautiful. And the staff was was lovely and, and very knowledgeable about, about what they were doing. The ambiance. So I was in the intimate front room bar area. And then in the back, there's a main dining room that has an open kitchen. The space is modern, yet minimalistic. Perfect for food, food lovers who enjoy unique and interactive experiences. Interesting tidbit. The restaurant name refers to pineapple as a symbol of hospitality and pearls as a symbol of elegance. Personal fun fact, last time I was in D.C. in October 2016, I went to Pineapple and Pearls Bakery, which is at the same location. And um, I had had their pineapple roll and a chicken fried chicken roll. Both were delicious. The cost was $225. $225. That's all inclusive. The way it worked was I paid for half of it when I made the reservation. Half of it the day of the reservation. So uh, it's an interesting, interesting dining um, paying method, but I guess it works. They use talk? Is that what it- They use... No. I think they're on their own system. Hmm, cool. I have to double check, but I've used talk a lot. Yeah. I think it wasn't talk. Okay, so would I go back? Uh, yes, if you're paying, and uh, the website is pineappleandpearls.com. dot <laughs> com.
4: You make Pichet pay next time. Yeah Aaron, yeah, Aaron does an amazing job of making food super approachable, but very much high high level. Right? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah that that's that I could have summed it up like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and the staff. When you know you're talking about hiring nice people, I feel like they have to have that in there in what they're looking for with, with the staff they're hiring because everyone was just so nice. And then I started thinking back about my experiences in New York. I'm like, well, we're nice, but I feel like they're a little nicer here.
2: <laughs>
4: well, I think sometimes they uh, – D.C. sometimes gets oh. – I think it's strange, but we are categorized as a southern state. This is the south. Yeah. The I south don't really, of Mason Dixie, right? Yeah.
3: yeah, I don't think I ever think of that.
4: Yeah, you know, so <laughs> – Apparently we're Southerners. Uh,
3: Okay, Southerners, Southern hospitality. So it was great. Uh, Okay, time for the final question. My next guest is Drew Neporant, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'll give him one. He's one of America's most respected and celebrated restaurateurs. He's the founder and owner of Myriad Restaurant Group. That includes Tribeca Grill, Nobu NYC, a bunch of the Nobu's, Batard. Uh, He's got a lot going on. Another busy man. Eric, what would you like to ask Drew?
4: Was that on the prepared?
3: That was on the list.
4: Man, that's one I should have totally prepared for.
3: <laughs> well, you can ask him anything.
4: Um, okay. If he, if, he would, if he had the opportunity to reopen Corton, would he do it? Okay. That's my question. I will find as, out. As it was that first year if he could reopen that first year experience
3: with everything with, with paul him, with, everything. with 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 the whole the whole way yeah okay
4: in the same size like not a bigger version of it the stars aligned or maybe not maybe it's not an alignment of stars i don't know i don't know the back i mean i saw the documentary mm-hmm. I mean, you can give him this context. i saw the documentary and yeah and it was an amazing documentary and and the, the 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 interaction of those two those scenes was just like that was just really great filmmaking so um yeah would he
3: would he do it? I what will find it? out. You have to tune in.
4: Is that kind of a basic question to ask him? I don't know.
3: No. any que- I mean, it's not a basic question. Okay, I wasn't my, expecting you to, to Okay, my to second sandwich, se-
4: se- second, second question sandwich? would be, um, if it's a chicken club sandwich, would he prefer it fried chicken or grilled chicken or deli chicken?
3: never that's an original too
4: that's what i got
3: okay that's the show thank right. you hey
4: thank you so much what a huge honor i'm really i'm really um, you could have interviewed anybody in dc when you came and i'm glad you didn't me
3: are you kidding me i had to interview you we're at the line hotel this has been i'm i don't want to leave i mean this is so this is so amazing and a huge honor for me to be here to be interviewing you to be here with Fabulous, Jack Inslee producing the show over there and thank you Jack and thank you Line Hotel and thank you Eric thank you you're welcome
4: thank you our pleasure so um, much fun
3: people everyone you, you know listeners uh, this is this is quite the spot uh, and check out my show will also be on Heritage Radio next week uh, I'm gonna re-air it on Wednesday April 11th at my usual 4pm time slot so um, I'm now I'm now both. I got Heritage Radio Network and Full Service Radio. As a recap, my guest today has been Eric Bruner Yang. He's DC-based chef, and owner of multiple restaurants in DC, and you can definitely come come here to the Line Hotel. Check them out, brothers and sisters, spoken English. They're fabulous. And Jack Insley, founder of Full Service Radio, is here at the Line Hotel. Stop in and give say hi to Jack. He's he's awesome. Okay, websites. I'm doing this whole thing. Uh, the Line Hotel, backslash Full Service Radio. Oh,
5: fullserviceradio.org, actually. We're oh. Getting you right there.
3: Fantastic. Even better. Um, social media, you got Eric Bruner Yang, Full Service Radio, Line Hotel, Jack Inslee, P. Ong, Sherry Bayer, Bayer PR, all industry. Those are all at, at all those My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com. And um, yeah, let's wrap this up. Thank you again. Thank you, Line Hotel. Thank you, Full Service Radio. I'm Sherry Bayer. You've been listening to All in the Industry. And thank you for being part of it. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you.